Hey, welcome to the Recognizing Potential podcast with your host and certified relationship coach, Cameron Thompson Alaricki. This is the podcast for all things real and raw on building the healthiest, happiest marriage and parenting relationships possible. As a coach, I'm on a mission to help couples divorce proof their marriages. The statistic that 50% of marriages end in divorce just isn't going to cut it for me. And what I found is that people don't actually want a divorce most of the time. They want peace and harmony and better tools to navigate the hardships that inevitably come with marriage. But you only know what you know. So congratulations on finding this podcast, reaching for more, and being eager to learn and do better in your marriage. You've already taken the first step, and for that, I am so proud of you. I am happily married and have been for six years. We have two boys, and in my spare time, you can find me reading, painting, and traveling this gorgeous, incredible world. Now, I know you're ready to start bettering your marriage, so let's dive into this week's episode. This week's episode is featuring Kevin and Bree Bailey. They are couples coaches with Reverence Restored, and their story is so inspirational. If you are someone who is struggling in your marriage or you feel like all hope is gone, you're too far gone to even be helped, or even if you or your spouse has filed for divorce and you're in the middle of those proceedings right now, take a listen to this episode. This episode is jam-packed with nuggets for you, nuggets for them, and just an absolute story of redemption. So without further ado, Kevin and Brie Bailey. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Recognizing Potential podcast. Today, I am joined by a couple that is, um, they call themselves the marriage mistake experts. I'm so excited to introduce to you Kevin and Bree Bailey. Hello. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having us. I'm really excited. So I actually, I found out about you guys because I saw a couple of reels that you posted on Facebook. And so tell a little bit about your story, who you are, um, I want to kind of get into Kevin, you talk a lot about leading with intention and you guys talk a lot about infidelity as well. Is that part of your story? Kind of tell your story a little bit. Yeah. I'll give you the cliff notes version of it. Cause I don't know that we have enough time for the whole story, but <laughs> That's uh, fine. We, will be, we will be celebrating 20 years this year of marriage. So we're excited for that. But at year 12, we really, things hit the brakes pretty hard. So mm-hmm. We had been going through life, married, everything was great on the outside, perfect life, right? We had great jobs, we're advancing in our careers, advancing in family life, and we were completely drifting apart from one another. We had gone through seven years of counseling, which didn't really end very well for us. There's some great counselors out there. However, we were working with a specific Christian counselor who ultimately told us that it would probably be best if we separated. So we did that. Yeah, we did that in uh, about 12 or seven years ago now. So mm-hmm. a little bit longer than that, I guess. And during that time, during our separation, I stepped out on our marriage and ultimately ended up living, had another person really living with me for about 10 months. Uh, we've got three kids, had two that were in the house at the time. So they were a part of all of this. It was just a really nasty divorce. Nothing, the the last, the accumulation of the previous 12 years had just mounted into a, a storm of a mess. And And so here we were living it out with us really living two different lives. And Mm. when we made that decision, or I made that decision to file for divorce, we went down a path of seeking the Lord. And I went down a path of surrounding myself with other other divorced people and show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Yeah. Yeah. Anything you want to add to that? 
Um, gosh, I mean, yeah, that's, that's about it. It was, we were in love and got married and everything was, you know, just very, very normal for what we were used to. And Mm -hmm. then when stuff became not so normal, it was a shock, but it was an opportunity for growth. And so we're just always wanting to encourage people that your marriage is not over, even if you think it's over, you know, um, God has a lot in store for you. Totally believe that. Yeah. We were separated for 10 months and then on April 3rd. So first on April 1st, we made a, uh, we set a meeting, we set a date to have a conversation. And I sat down that day and looked Brie in the eyes. And just for the first time, really, we had been through a nasty deposition just a Mm. few weeks before that. A lot of hurtful things said, really, we saw the we saw the divorce process really play out in this deposition of kind of the final meeting before we went to trial for divorce assets being split and just really the the last 10 months of us being separated, the impact that it had on both of our finances. We, the reason we say uh, invest in a marriage that matters is because we spent about $100,000 to not get divorced. Uh, that's wow. Yeah. One <laughs> of the best investments we've ever made. However, not the ideal way to invest a hundred thousand dollars. Right. Sure. Divorce fees and separate houses, separate apartments, separate furnishings, alimony, child support, all of the fun stuff that goes in with divorce that you don't think about the day you file. We got to see all of that play out. So we went through this nasty deposition in the middle of March and then April 1st, uh, how could I pick a better day than April fool's day than to sit down and say, Hey, we should meet. However, we did. And I looked Brie in the eyes and told her that I was sorry for the pain that I caused our family for the very first time. And she looked at me right away and said, I forgive you. And that was just completely foreign to our relationship at the time. That wasn't something we would have ever had said in the past. So I heard these words, I forgive you. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, but how, like everything's going through your mind in that moment of how can this person forgive me already? I didn't really know the journey that she had been on with the Lord during all of that. But she had been preparing her heart for a moment like that, not knowing if it was going to be there or not. So then fast forward just a couple of days, and uh, I had really a miraculous come to Jesus moment. I walked into church with her on April 3rd of 2016, heard the gospel message spoken for the first time. I had heard it a thousand times before that, but it had never made sense to me before. And uh, I heard a man I didn't know speak about a man I couldn't wait to meet, and it was Jesus. So um, my life was radically changed that day. I went home and uh, started to end the relationship that i had had with somebody previous to that. And we started the reconciliation process. And here we are seven years later, uh, not perfect, but Mm -hmm. in process and on the right path. Right. (laughs) Okay. So I want to talk to both of you individually about what happened. Like, so between the nasty deposition that you guys had to April 1st, like what changed in you, Kevin? Like what was the decision that was like, no, I need to apologize for this. Yeah. So really it was that seeing everything laid out, right? Cause it's two teams. You're, you're, you're not on the same team. You're fight, for the first time we're fighting against one another, 100% with everything laid out in front of us. So the roles that I had had in our home before were taking care of the finances. Bree wasn't working at that time. So she was able to stay home. She was taking care of the kids. And now I'm seeing this person that I had gone to the altar with frustrated and challenged with having to take on the roles that were my roles. And I saw the chaos that that caused. So it started to create a little bit of empathy in me that I had never really had, certainly not through the process or even thought about beforehand. And while one of my strengths is structure and organization, (laughs) not one of Bree's, and I saw that play out in this moment, 
in front of us in a, in a, it was magnified because of everything that had taken place. So empathy started to settle in. And then um, just, you can only, you can only say a miracle by the Lord of just saying, Hey, tap her on the shoulder and see if she's willing to sit down and have a conversation. And sure enough, she had been preparing her heart for that conversation. So it wasn't this like major shift. It was just this empathy for a, a, a female, a woman that I loved and spent so much time with that I hadn't really thought about in that, in that vein for quite some time. Yeah. Now, Bree, talk to, talk to me about your, like everything that was going on with you. What were you doing? How were you, you know, like, what were you feeling? Everything. Oh my gosh. Well, during the 10 months of separation, I went from shock. How can this be happening? He's the one who's having the affair to me really learning that, wow, I brought a lot of stuff into our marriage that I need to take responsibility for. I had gone through a process called heart care. It's a ministry that's local here, but they serve people all over the United States. And it's really going through a deep dive of everything. It's, it's faith-based of a deep dive of bringing everything that you brought into your marriage past bitterness, past hurt, past sins that you've done, past sins that people have maybe, you know, uh, done against us. And it's just, it was an opportunity for me to say, wow, it's not just him. That's the problem. We both were yeah. broken and we both brought so much junk into our marriage. And so I was able to go through a process, but right away, when I reached out uh, to a couple of good girlfriends, when we were first separated, they, I'm going to cry. Like they were like, we're it's okay. for you. we're going to be fighting for you. And it wasn't that they were fighting against my husband, throwing him under the bus. They were like, we're fighting for your marriage. And that was really encouraging. And then God was just so faithful to bring other people around me. I had gotten saved that summer. We both grew up in the church um, and never really had a personal relationship with God. And I was so desperate. I needed something. And so... I got saved in July of that, you know, previous year, 2020 or 2015. And then God was just pursuing me. I got involved with a, um, a women's group Bible study. And as things completely unraveled, God was so faithful. And I, I was realizing, wow, Jesus is a person and he's protecting me. Yeah. And he gave me this desire to love my husband through terrible, terrible things. Right. Um, so I was just on this process, like, wow, I'm, you know, my husband's not the only one who has the issues. Um, and I want to fight for our marriage and I would tell him that, and it actually made him so much more yeah. annoyed. I mean, it, yeah. it, it wasn't received well. And there were times where, you know, if I'm being honest, I can still, still see and hear some of the things that were said, just like the past hurts that I had, you know, committed against him. He it's, it's real, you know, yeah. we're, we're both human. And so it was just a 10 months of, of radical change. Um, and yeah. And then when it was probably two weeks before the April 1st, we had had the deposition, um, and, then I would say that next week I was, I got a full-time job, um, during that 10 months and I was doing hospice nursing. And I, I remember driving to one of my patient's houses and I got a text from Kevin that said, can I be honest with you? And I was mm -hmm. like, here we go. Yeah. 
I had no idea. And he said, I always wanted to feel like I was your best friend. And I never did. And I was like, wow, I let this person down too. You know, I had so many great girlfriends who knew the Lord, who didn't know the Lord, whatever. I had always placed other things above him in our, in our marriage. And I was like, wow, I texted my mentor and I was like, I don't know what's going on with Kevin, but this is something new. This is a different text that I got. He's, he's having some heart change. I'm, I don't know what's going on. And then fast forward to my birthday is March 31st. He sent me a really nice text on my birthday. And I was like, okay, okay. I don't, I don't know what's going on. The next day was April 1st when we decided to reconcile. That's awesome. I, I love stories like yours that it's that redemption story, right? That like, it's, yeah. And it's just so powerful that, like you said, relationships aren't over even when you think they're over. Mm-hmm. So then fast forward, you guys have created reverence restored. So talk a little bit about how your story has played into that, what reverence restored means and kind of what you do now. Yeah. So what it means is really the word reverence shows up in the Bible and it's, it's in, it's referring to God. We want to have a reverence for the Lord and it's a deep respect, right? A lot of times people say there's a fear for the Lord. I don't want to be scared of him and we're not, but we are supposed to have this deep respect for, mm-hmm. for the judgment that he has and for the way that he counsels us. So the word reverence has always stuck out to me whenever I've read that in God's word. And then the restoration process is just something that needs to be, we need to walk into it knowing that there, there needs to be a deep respect for it. It's not easy. Um, It's not easy to go on this journey together. Everything around us would say separate divorce. You Mm -hmm. were, we were so close to the finish line, if you will, of a divorce. Why did we turn our backs and start over? Because we get to create a legacy that we have now that we don't, Mm -hmm. that we've never had before. We're best friends. So that text message that I sent, we're, we're far better friends today than we were then. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a deep respect for the marriage. It's a deep respect for the restoration process. And we know it's not going to be easy, but we want it to be something that the, that anybody that goes through it with us looks back and says, man, that was the time that my legacy started to change. Yeah. I think really with Reverence Restored too, it's practical principles that we've been blessed to glean from other couples that we've walked alongside, whether it was heart care, whether it was people at our church, whether it was taking classes like love and respect or the five love languages, we've just learned so much and we can't keep it inside. Yeah. You know, yeah. we know that everyone's on their own journey, um, but it is the thing that transformed our marriage because we could have had a marriage that we got back together and just stayed. And, yeah. and we didn't want that for our kids. We really did fall back in love with one another at, at, you know, at a deeper yeah. level. And I don't even know if I thought that was possible when we decided to reconcile. But I remember him looking at me like, hey, where do we go now from here? After we reconciled that day at Panera Bread, we were like, now what? It's so awkward. And so we walked outside and I was, I said, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know who we have to call. And that was the mentor that had come alongside me. And so I reached out to them and they first thought it was an April fool's because it was about three o'clock in the afternoon. Terrible day for that. Yeah. But you know, and they're crying and I'm crying and they gave me some practical advice, even in that moment that I was like, okay. Uh, Because what wives want to do is control, right? Like, we want to control the situation. And even just talking with you a little bit before, it's like, we're, we're trusting, you know, that we don't have to have it all together 
all the time. Yeah. We don't have to be in control. And so in that moment, I was like, gosh, I'm going to tell him he needs to do this and this and mm-hmm. this. And I had a lot of great wisdom. So yeah, we just can't keep it inside. We love to encourage others. I love it. I love it. So um, for you guys, you know, I, I want to go back to a little bit about what you said about um, like, where do you go from here? So you guys called your mentor and then what did you do? Like, did you get coaching? Did you get counseling? Did you, I mean, you said yes. you'd been in counseling for like seven years. So yeah. what did that look like? Really? So we did, we did all of the above. We stopped counseling once we got, once we separated, we, we no longer went to counseling at that point, specific marriage counseling that we had mm-hmm. gone to in the past, but we surrounded ourselves with the right people. So immediately I jumped into a men's small group at church. Uh, I had gone to church that day, got saved that day gave my life to the Lord. And, and from that moment on, I realized I couldn't do this on my own. I knew that I was a mess. And I knew in my, if I tried to do it on my own, I would, I would fall short within just a few moments. Mm -hmm. So we surrounded ourselves with people that were fighting, like Bree said, for our marriage and not just with their words, but with their action. We really had a a bubble around us of people that were just not going to let us waver off of Mm -hmm. that road. Hey guys, real quick, if you are loving this podcast episode, give it a quick like and share it with your friends. You never know who might also benefit from the information that you're loving. Tag me in your post so that I can thank you and chat with you because I love getting to know and connect with my audience. And also leave a review. It helps the podcast grow and get in front of more people. And this helps the mission to divorce-proof marriages, and we all know somebody who could benefit from that. So thanks so much, and back to the episode. Yeah. Because we had surrounded ourselves with those people. So we we reached out to the the Friesens, who, is, who mm-hmm. Brie worked with, with SOS Heart Care. And we started that heart care process before Brie had done it on her own. Mm-hmm. And it's a four-day intense process of just coming and cleaning out your heart is really what it is. I don't know if you're familiar with Fresh Start. That's another one that's similar for an isolated case. But um, um, what's it called? SOS. SOS yeah. Yes. Heart care. <laughs> heart care is specific to a married couple coming in and saying, we're showing up to the marriage altar with two suitcases full of junk. Let's throw it all out on the table and make sure we've got a clean slate when we start this thing. So we went through that process and it was four days of intensive um, conversations of really coming clean about everything that had happened in our marriage Mm -hmm. and beforehand leading up to marriage. So we went through that. And with that process, then you walk with another couple for 12 months after the fact. So for a year long, we had mentors that we would meet with once a month to just talk about anything that was taking place in our marriage, where we felt like we needed our, where we needed help. But I joined a men's group, rejoined a women's group. We Mm -hmm. joined couples group. We just, we jumped in all in into every single piece of advice that we could get and just surrounded ourselves with God's word and God's wisdom and God's truth. Cause we knew that if we tried to do it on our own, we were going to fail. Yeah. You know what? 100%. So Kevin, as a man, I kind of want to talk about, well, actually, Brie, let's start with you because you said something earlier, like women want to control. And it's so interesting to me. Um, I actually recently heard this and it hit home so much that we as women, you know, we serve our children, you know, our kids, I have a 13 and a two-year-old snacks are really big in my house. Like my kids (laughs) just eat all day long. So it's, you know, when is dinner? When is breakfast? What are we having for a snack? Give me another snack. Can I have, you know, I just had seven, but can I have another one? So we serve our kids all day long, even when they are bratty, even when they're unloving, even when they're, you know, complete jerks, but our husbands 
instead of serving them, we judge them, we criticize them, and we stop serving them based on their performance instead of continuing to respect them and serve them anyway. Because And, and we, we lose sight of the fact that a lot of times the people who need love the most ask for it in the most unloving ways. Right. And so, and, and for men, you know, we, we, as women need love more, but men need respect more. They may be asking for that respect in a disrespectful way. And so kind of talk to me about how your, um, how your heart changed after you guys got back together and kind of what you teach women now. Right. So I, gosh, that's such a good, good point because one of the things that I like to do sometimes is have a wife and, and the husband, but really encourage the wife to find an old picture of her husband when he was, a, you know, this tiny boy, whether it was a two-year-old, three-year-old, maybe it's junior high, because that way put it on your screensaver. Cause then when you see that picture, you're like, wow, he is a little boy at heart, you know, and I serve my kids. There's no way that I would treat my kids like some of the ways I used to treat my husband in my words, my actions, nonverbal, you know, and so that's such a good point. Um, excuse I So I think really, I mean, I just had a lot of people pouring into me. I had to relearn what it looked like to be a godly wife. What I knew was what I saw growing up, which was great. Um, and, but not what I wanted to do necessarily what was going to work for us, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So my mom and dad were married for over 25 years. My dad passed away, um, or they'd probably still be married today, you know, but, um, I had a great example with the women who were coming alongside me to really point out areas where I was falling short. And that's hard to hear sometimes yeah. because I think we have it all together. And I began to quit comparing how my friends were treating their husbands good, bad, or indifferent, because that wasn't my marriage. Yeah. And I really needed to learn what was going to work for us. We were babies. Really, we got married when we were 23 and 25. But going through now a new marriage, I was 30, I don't know, what was I, 35? 32, 33. What year is it? Yeah, 30. Yeah, so, so 35, yeah, 35, 36. And I was learning what it looked like to be a, a godly wife. It was very attractive to me to learn how to be a godly wife. And I look back and there were things that maybe he would say when we leave a party where some wife was serving her husband in a great way. And I took offense to it. And I thought that maybe I was, you know, I was, I was falling short, but I took offense to it. And I was like, well, then go marry her type of mentality. Yeah. I just, I didn't, I didn't know any better. And so now going forward, when I coach women, it's like, man, there's a better way to do marriage. And as soon as we get our eyes off of each other, off of other couples, we don't need to compare. Comparison is a thief. It is. So we just, I just was learning how to really be a godly wife and it's a daily battle still, you know, because we have flesh and we want to do things our own way. Turns out God gave us a spouse to complete. We were just talking about this to complete each other. We don't have to have this constant competing. So it was just attractive when I was around other people really. Awesome. Yeah. So Kevin, for you, like men kind of have this mentality, I guess that's a myth that it's just to provide and protect, but providing only means financial. So kind of talk about your posture and how you show up for the marriage 
in a way that is more like, cause you talk a lot about leading with intention. So what yep. does that look like? How do men actually step into that and recognize that I recently just posted a reel um, about this topic about men leading and how you lead your wife with emotionally, physically, financially, educationally, like all of these things. Ooh, there are a lot of hurting men in this world. Yeah. I will just, I will just say, so yeah. talk to, talk to me and tell, tell, tell these men sure. how to do that. And I would say there's a lot of, just, just, there's a lot of hurting people. When we did a post on this a while back and the amount of comments that we got from women was just mind blowing. I mean, this thing got like almost a hundred thousand views. It's one of our most popular pieces out there. And if you look at the comments on it, I think it's on Facebook. It's a tremendous amount of women calling out exactly what you just described, that there's men that aren't leading well. And that's just a product of where we're at in a society right now. I, yeah. I mean, I think you look at back over the last 20 years and really this leadership role has been, there's been a, a kind of a cloud placed over it of like the submissive wife. I think one of the things Bree didn't touch on that she does so extremely well is she teaches women how to become that godly mm -hmm. wife by praying with them, ministering to their hearts and showing them what it looks like to be submissive, not in a bad way. And yeah. we talk about this all the time. Like, yes, she's called to be submissive to me, but it's not like I'm barking out orders all day. That's because I'm submissive to the Lord first. So there's, and her duty is to be submissive to me as long as I'm falling underneath his leadership. So I'm yeah. being led by God's word and by who, by who he is, which is teaching me. And of course, she's going to want to follow that. So right. one of the, and you mentioned two of my favorite topics So I'll put it in this order because this is the way that it was taught to me. So we're called to be a pastor first. Yep. Protector second and provider third. And it's in that order for a reason. So I need to make sure that I'm constantly ministering to my family's heart, specifically my wife. I want to be a pastor, not just in the way that I'm available to her, but when she's hurting, I need to care for her. I need to make sure that I'm doing it with intentionality. If I'm the one that's hurt her feelings, it's about how we have that conversation after afterwards, because we're not perfect. We're going to blow it. And then this protector piece is, yeah, I'm protecting her, but what am I protecting her from? In the past, my protection of her would have been to really close her off and not let anybody know who she was because she was mine. I was battling my own insecurities. And the protection piece of that looked entirely different than it does today. My protection today is I want to care for her heart. I want to make sure that she is protected physically, but also emotionally. I want to make sure that our intimacy is protected, that our there's a huge connection between intimacy and finances so we can move to the provider piece. But from an intimate standpoint, there's physical there's emotional and then there's the spiritual piece and the spiritual piece of that. If you think about it, like two of the ways we describe it, one being on this, like the old school double pan scale, right? That's a cross in the middle. If that thing's out of whack, the emotional and the, and the physical on the other side, aren't going to be aligned. So a marriage hack or a, an emotional intimacy hack is get the spiritual piece in order. And yeah. the other two are just going to flow. They're going to stay in balance all of the time. Now, not perfectly, right? We still have to be intentional with those. So when I coach other guys, that's the conversation that we're having is we want the physical piece. Most guys that you ask, what's your love language? It's going to be physical touch and, and acts of service. And I prefer acts of service that include physical touch. So, I mean, really, right? That's what a lot of guys are. And there's no chance that my wife wants to fulfill that if I haven't taken care of her love language as well. So the love and respect piece of that. And I want to make sure that I'm emotionally connected to her so that we can have a physical relationship that's going to matter so that we can have an emotional relationship that's going to matter. So we spend a lot of time talking about this pastor 
provider or protector and provider and in that order. And if that order gets out of whack, um, like it did for me in my first 12 years of marriage, where I was really pursuing career and providing was the number one thing. What do you mean? The family's taken care of. Everybody's good. Why are you complaining? We've got money in the bank. The kids are great. They're able to do everything they need to do. You, food's on the table. You don't have to work. Zip it. Everything's fine. And that's not leadership. I mean, that's providing and that's awesome. There's a lot of people that can get down with that, but that's not God's best. And so we got the opportunity yes. to really, really see what it looked like to have the conversation of what if we lost everything? If we lost everything, would we be good? And if the answer to that is no, then you need to check where your marriage is at and what your leadership style is like. So leadership in, with intentionality is big for me because I think so many men can lead extremely well in the marketplace and then they get in their car, they drive home and everything falls apart. All of a sudden, they don't want to make decisions. You're the one here making decisions. We can't even figure out why we why dinner can't be ready right now. Like, but there's meetings that take place at work. There's communication that takes place at work. There's a you're on my team at work. We're in this together at work. We come home and we're like, why isn't somebody taking care of me all day? I've mm -hmm. just given up on my team and I'm expecting them to do everything. So we got the opportunity to have people show us what this looked like. And now I feel like it, part of our story is making sure that we can equip others to win the battle as well. And it starts with leading well, and it starts with the husband. It's your it's your responsibility as a man. Yes, I I yes, all all of that. I I wish that I yes, like all the snaps, all the claps, all the all the praise for that because that is that is huge. Um, you know, one thing that you said in there: if you lost everything. If you lost everything tomorrow, would you be okay? And I think that people miss the fact that if you lost everything tomorrow or if you lost anything, would you be okay? And if the answer is no, you have put your identity into that. Right. And that is a huge problem. What is your identity? You know, um, my husband and I were actually just having this conversation last night that uh, throughout our marriage, he he's a pilot. And so if he lost, like for me, all I've ever wanted is to be a really good mom and a really good wife, but in the opposite order. And so for him, all he's ever wanted was to be a really good pilot. And so his identity is not in being a husband. His identity is in being a pilot. And someday he's going to retire. And then what? What's yeah. he going to do? What's his life going to be like? But for me, I will always be a mom. And then, you know, that wife piece. So, um, like, it's just really important to figure out who you are, because if you don't know who you are, then you, you don't understand how you're projecting those insecurities onto other people. The other thing is that I've been doing a lot of marriage retreats in Kentucky lately, um, because I helped a couple that kind of had a similar story to you guys. And then, um, they have now taken it and, you know, they're like pressing into God and, and obeying God's command to help other marriages with that as well. So I'm doing these retreats and the big theme there is the further away from God you are, the further away from your marriage you will be. And so like your marriage will be more disconnected. Yep. So that's, yeah, I just, I think that we have gotten away from the idea of what our 
what our roles and what our identity truly is in marriage. So as a man, you said it's your responsibility to be a leader and it's a woman's responsibility to be submissive because Eve was created after Adam to be that helpmate. And I think I just want to get you guys as this is a friend of mine and I were having this conversation the other day. I want to get you guys' opinion. Do you feel like the breakdown in marriage and the war, and we were kind of talking about this before we started recording, the war on marriages is like a grandchild of feminism. Hmm. I'm, yeah, I think culture plays a, a huge role in this. Just a lot of the, a lot of the division and where we're at in culture today is playing a huge role on this, whether it's labels, but what we're seeing happen all over the place. And we don't, I don't want to get into the political side of this, but yeah. we enjoy that. We enjoy that conversation as well sometimes, but um, yes, a hundred percent. And th the roles that we've been given, you use the word that Eve was given as a helper. The word in the Greek, I, I believe is the exact same one that, that he uses when we get the Holy spirit. Mm -hmm. So that's to be the same. I mean, it, it's a helper that we are getting and the helper that we're being assigned, God's given us that person to use for a reason. I've got strengths that my wife doesn't have. She has, mm -hmm. has strengths that I don't have. We've got different gifts. And when we put those together, we can do a lot more of God's work than we can when we're trying to do it apart. So yeah, yeah, feminism plays a big role in this, um, transgender, all of it. I mean, everything that's taking place is really... Um, harmful to harmful to marriages because if you can break up marriages you can break up cities if you can break up cities you can break up towns you can break up states you can break up the whole country if you start breaking up marriages so it's a great place for the enemy to just chip away at you and with a 50 percent divorce rate i mean it, it's you've got a one in two chance of making this thing work you better surround yourself with some really good people yeah i want to touch on something that you had said even just about roles and that feminism i think you know, I'm not like a huge, big feminist. Yeah. I'm for equality, you know, just like he said, God made, you know, or you said God made Adam and then Eve. And it's like, yes, it is. Eve is his helper, you know? And so even when Kevin says submissive, if I'm not careful, sometimes I can be like, you know, yeah. you know just kind of shut a little bit. That's not his heart. Yeah. But I know a lot of women are because they, they just don't know. They don't know their purpose. And, you know, part of it is when you're raising tiny babies, it is exhausting. You know, it is. if you're working full-time, if you're a stay at home mom, if you're sending your kids to school, if you're homeschooling, it is a lot. And it's not just a lot on you. It's a lot on your husband because they are providing, you know, they have that um, innate desire to provide for their family. And so it's just a battle. It's expensive. It's a battle. They don't get any cheaper as they get older. You know, we have now a, a 25 year old uh, a 15 year old and an 11 year old and, um, they don't get any cheaper, but you can lose your identity as yeah. a mom. Um, and that, and that's really what happened. Kevin stayed at work longer. He was still providing, he was doing things afterwards, you know, going for drinks with the guys, whatever, building that rapport. And I was at home. I had just started staying home maybe a, a couple of years before that. And I was like excited for him to come home. But was I always providing an opportunity for him to want to come home? And yes. I look back and I wasn't. I There were times where I shoved everything at him and I was like, I need a break, you know? Yeah. But as far as feminism, you know, even during the Me Too movement, I want to just, just real quick. I remember thinking, we're not discounting I had an issue, an um, internal 
just dialogue some days where I was like, man, my husband is a man. My son is growing up to be a man. I don't want women to be hurt. I don't want men to be right. hurt. There yeah. is, there was so much going on with that, that it really bothered me. You know, there needs to be justice. There needs to be protection. We all need to have a voice, but that's just it. The men have to have a voice too. And I was just broken over all of that. Speaking from a feminism standpoint that can you do it alone? Sure. But for us, we were so much more so much better together. Yeah. Yeah. Culture is tough. It is. And you know, I think the culture in your home is really important too. This is something that we talk about in, in marriage. You know, my husband grew up in the Middle Eastern culture. I grew up on a farm. Like these two cultures could not be any more different, but at the same time, like throughout my marriage, you know, am I, I've, I've constantly, you know, that objectivity, like looking at yourself objectively, is something that people are losing the ability to do. And so seeing yourself and asking, like, like you said, Brie, am, am I creating a culture that my husband wants to come home to? Am I creating, you know, it's, it's my husband's job to set the tone, but it's my job to provide that environment that supports the tone that he is setting. And so if he doesn't want to come home, that's on me. Because if I'm being critical and a nag and here, like I've had the kids all day, that tag, you're it. Like, whoa, this is, you know, what's that saying about the culture in your home? And then how are your kids going to replicate that culture as they get older? That's it. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. That's one of the pieces. Legacy is a big piece for us. I heard that that word was spoken on the day that I was saved so much because everything I thought about it in the past was what, what I could accumulate. And I wasn't Mm -hmm. aware of the wake I was leaving behind me. Like it was all about accumulation, materialistic things. Was my wife able to stay home? And all of a sudden hearing, hearing that man speak that day from God's word, all of a sudden legacy completely shifted into my mind to, wow, this is the the legacy I'm leaving behind is like my character. Who, what's my family life look like? What's my leadership look like? And so now as having a young son, because prior we had uh, two older daughters and a young, a young son, I really get the opportunity to just disciple them first. So really part of why we started Reverence Restored was exactly for that reason. We want to make sure that we spent some time, some really solid prayerful time in figuring out, let's, let's make sure we're leading our home really well. Yeah. Not perfect, but really well before we step out and try helping other couples learn what it looks like to lead in their home. We wanted to model it out extremely well. And our, our kids now, they do the same exercise that we do when we ask for forgiveness. If we blow it, it's not just, I'm sorry. That's, I'm sorry, I got caught. We say, I'm sorry. And will you please forgive me for what I've done? Whatever that action is. And our kids have to model that out. Um, we're, we spend time reading God's word together as a family. I mean, we just really want to make sure that we raise our kids, not just in the faith, but really to be difference makers in the culture. They're setting the tone for what's to come. So. Yeah, because in reality, they're getting a, there's so much offense so much. all day long, you know, whether it's something, especially with text messaging and yes, Snapchat and all the things they all serve a purpose. So it, it's not dogging on that, but it's not just, you know, back in the day I drove by so-and-so's house and their car was out front. They must be hanging out. Now people know, you know, these kids know each other's locations. They yep. know what they're thinking saying where they're shopping, eating, they're posting all the time. And so, you know, there there's a high opportunity for, to be offended. And so when they come home and something's off with them, we are just so quick to say, okay, you know, hold up. And we just say what happened, you know, if there's time and then we 
go through that prayer with them and like, okay, let's choose to forgive the person who offended you, causing you to feel how they're feeling. Because if they don't start doing that and cleaning out their hearts, they are just going to stuff it and it's going to pile up to explode someday. And, you know, we don't want that for them either. It's all about keeping your heart clean. I love that. That, yes, that is, that, that's it right there. Keeping your heart clean and the, yeah, resentment's a big thing. So talk a little bit more about what you guys do. Um, just as we kind of wrap it up here, what are some things that you are really intentional about that have really created the biggest difference in your marriage? Go ahead. (laughs) Um, I gosh, so many, but if we had to narrow it down, it is our intentionality pursuing each other. Uh, Craig Rochelle from Life Church did a fantastic series back in 2017 that I listened to a couple times a year, and it's called The Vow. And okay. the first one is The Vow of Priority. Um, I'm blanking now, but The Vow of Pursuit, maybe, but it's like, okay, God is definitely first in our lives. And it wasn't always that way. It was, let's dress up, have the kids look cute, go to church on Sunday and go to brunch. And while that works for a lot of people, it wasn't working for us. And so during those, our our separation, I had the ability to really press in and develop that relationship. And so I, you know, spouses can be on different journeys, different faith journeys, and that's okay. One's not better if they've started 10 months before. It's about giving grace and giving forgiveness and just allowing that to mature. And so really mm-hmm. God's our number one. Um, we are our, our number twos yep. and everything else falls below. And so that's really just pursuing each other and having that priority. Yeah, that's the most important one that we do. We just, <clears throat> we're constantly pursuing one another. We communicate really well, not all the time, but <laughs> once in a while, once in a while we blow it. Uh, but we, we try to communicate really well. We spend a lot of time together. I think when you look back, uh, Jeff and Shanti Feldman or Feldhahn are two of the, the most profound scholars in marriage ministry, or they, they've got a ton of books out there, both Harvard educated, and they've really built this statistical database of, of marriage stuff. And the number one thing that they ask in one of the pieces that comes out of that is how did your marriage last for so long? And it's best friends, right? Well, you've got to spend time with them. We do everything together. This is such a mundane task mm. that people don't think about. And it's one of the, the most profound pieces that we talk about in our coaching programs is how much time do you guys spend together? We're together all the time. If I'm not at work, we're together. We run errands together. We run the kids to their events together. There are times where we have to divide and conquer. We've got a 15 year old daughter right now, soon to be driving. So that'll be a way that's still in the home. And we've got an 11 year old son. So we still have two kids and we have to divide and conquer, whether it's a dance competition out of town, that's going to happen. But we miss each other terribly now. Mm-hmm. Prior to this, I spent 150 nights on the road for 10 years. We would we were hardly ever in the same bed. It's no wonder that we broke, that we found ourselves in this catastrophic position because we weren't spending time together like we wanted to be best friends. So proximity is a huge issue for us right now. You mentioned it earlier, but it's proximity with the Lord. He's going to get the first of us every day. And then after that, we're pretty much side by side and we tech, we keep in communication all day. We're texting one another, mm-hmm. um, whether it's dorky or what we've got going for plans. doesn't really matter. We flirt a lot. We have fun. We pursue one another and we're quick to forgive. We're very quick to forgive when we blow it. And it doesn't matter if it's in front of friends or our pastors or whoever it may be. We're going to, we're going to call it out when we blow it. 
Yeah. And that's, that is different from how we were before yep. because, you know, you feel, feel validated when you can give your spouse a silent treatment and be like, you know what? I'm still mad about that. And yeah, sometimes I am still mad about issues. He's still mad about issues, but it's not a bitter root where it's just festering. It's more like, okay, well, we're just got a little, you know, push back one step forward, two steps ahead though. You know, so we just don't let much time go by when we blow it because it's just a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Man, this has been such a good conversation with you guys. I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to meet this afternoon. Um, If people want to follow you, want coaching from you, how do they find you? Yep, absolutely. So we are on all all social platforms, YouTube, uh, TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. (laughs) I still call it ding dong just because TikTok sounds weird, but we're on on all of them. Yeah, we're on all of those. They can find us there. They can also email us at Kevin at Reverence Restored or Bree at Reverence Restored. And yeah, our, uh, yeah.com we, we, what we offer is a four week coaching program. We do it virtually, uh, throughout those four weeks, we talk about kind of the basic things. We share a little bit of our story, where we were at, and then we qu- very quickly move into what works for us. So we go down the path of communication, trust, and forgiveness, talking about intimacy and finances. I know we briefly touched on the connection between the two of those or really four of those, but really, if you think about intimacy and finances, like think of them as power lines, you sever one of those, the whole thing shuts down. So really having this transparent conversation about those and then goal setting and planning and how we're going to launch people into, into a life of marriage and really becoming best friends. That's kind of the, the last phase of that. Our specialty is reconciliation, uh, whether it's from infidelity or whatever it may be, just a, a marriage that didn't work out. Somebody that's really in this catastrophic point of saying, hey, we're, we're really looking at separation or potentially divorce. The, those are our favorite um, favorite types of people to work with just because we're, we can relate to it extremely well. Yeah. And God's not done with them. If all it takes is one person willing to fight and willing to battle and uh, it, it's much better when there's two, but if there's one that's willing to fight, we feel like we've got a, a, a puncher's chance of helping them reconcile their marriage. Awesome. Thank yeah. you guys so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Recognizing Potential podcast. If you found the content in this episode helpful, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. I appreciate it so much, and it would absolutely make my day if you would share this episode by taking a screenshot and sharing it on your social media. I'll leave ways to tag me in the show notes, and I will talk to you next week.